We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, online conspiracy theories, and more to provide you and more than likely what your AI best friend would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week surrounds a true crime slash disappearance case from the United States, but before we nosedive into the episode, I'll be going over a little bit of housekeeping and then I'll fill you in on what I need a distraction from this week. As always, if you want to hear your need for a distraction on a future episode, feel free to shoot me a message or send me an email. In terms of housekeeping, as a heads up, I will be taking a mini break next week due to going away for a couple of days to the States. I'm sorry for taking another break after taking one in May, but rest assured there will be an episode from the Weird Spam series that will be dropped for 7am on Sunday, June 18th. I'm hoping to be back as regularly scheduled for Sunday, June 25th and earlier for those on Patreon. If anything changes, I will let everybody know. Now, in terms of my need for a distraction, I need a distraction this week because I was gently reminded how awful tuning into the news is. And I'm not saying that everyone should be ignorant like me and avoid sometimes listening or watching the news. Some people should pay attention to the news. I'm just one of those people that I get too anxious watching and reading the news which is a little ironic given the content I talk about. But alas, let's get into what really triggered all this and what triggered my need for distractions. So I saw this very concerning headline out of West Virginia that was featured on CTV News. The headline read, Man lives with mom's decomposing body to steal her benefits. Yeah, it's it's not great. It all seemingly started when an eviction notice was apparently supposed to be given to a tenant by officers, but once they were on the property, the eviction notice situation turned into a death investigation and an arrest. Michael Johnson was arrested in his mother's home, where it appears he was squatting for some time. I read in the article that neighbors reportedly hadn't seen his mother for over several months, but Johnson has been collecting, allegedly, her social security over that period of time. The investigation continues and I can provide updates as I see them, but I think it's safe to say that this week I need distraction from the story and being reminded that you can't trust anyone. And I will say, this is why I don't know if I want kids, because what if my kid does this to me? Like, what if my kid kills me and thinks that they're going to steal all my money? Newsflash, kiddo. I got nothing. I got nothing now and I probably won't have anything then, so sucks to suck. But alas, with that said, let's get into this week's episode, which, quite frankly, might give you even more anxiety. I mentioned in the beginning of this episode that this week's weird distraction is a true crime slash disappearance case from the United States. I know I've been covering a lot of cases from the United States as of late. I will try to mix it up a bit because I do want to broaden my horizons. However, this is a case I did come across during an Unsolved Mysteries binge session, and I wanted to discuss it with you all in hopes that maybe if I talk about it, someone out there will hear it and 
who knows, maybe someone knows something and they're just waiting for that opportunity to say something. So join me as I tackle the 1988 disappearance of Elizabeth Campbell, who remains missing at the time of this episode's recording. Due to potential coarse language and disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. As all true crime or disappearance cases, I'll start us off with focusing on who the case surrounds, being Elizabeth. Elizabeth Ann Campbell was reportedly born on May 31st of 1967. She would be the fifth addition to the Campbell family, which consisted of her older four siblings and parents Tom and Sam Soon Campbell. Hyper-focusing on her folks, Tom Rapoli was once in the U.S. Army, and specifically he served in the Vietnam War. I'm not sure exactly when, but eventually he would meet Sam soon while he was visiting, possibly stationed, in Korea. The pair would relocate to the United States and eventually lived in Lampasas, Texas, and I'm not sure when this happened to be exact. Elizabeth, who was of Asian and Caucasian descent, reportedly had what seemed to be an average childhood. I don't know the fine details, of course, but I didn't come across any major childhood traumas publicly stated when learning about Elizabeth. Elizabeth's second oldest sister, Carol Ann Hone, once described Elizabeth as being what she called a pistol. In a direct quote, she was a pistol, just the cutest thing. God, she was pretty. Just beautiful long hair and just perfect. End quote. Elizabeth, with her brown eyes and black hair, was apparently popular among those in her community. Based on the resources I came across, she had many friends and reportedly loved spending time with them and her family. Jumping to 1988, Elizabeth received great news regarding her educational career. It was within this year that she was accepted into the Texas A&M University and College Station, with the intention to start in September 1988 for a marine biology program. Around this time, then 20-year-old Elizabeth was attending the Central Texas College, while also working at the 7-Eleven store, once located on Rancer Avenue in Killeen, Texas. Killeen, for geographical reference, is 30-ish minutes east of Lampasas and almost two hours west of College Station. Elizabeth's plan was to move to College Station for school in the fall, which it's a bit of a trek from home, and I can imagine that the potential of Elizabeth moving away for school wasn't easy for Tom and Samsung, among others who were back in Lampasas or Killeen, to have to think about. Again, Elizabeth was close with her family and allegedly had a lot of friends at home. So moving away, although great for Elizabeth in terms of schooling, I can imagine that it was definitely a hard pill to swallow for everyone that knew her and even probably for herself too. Elizabeth wouldn't attend her classes at Texas A&M University that fall though, and that's all due to what took place on April 25th of 1988. During the evening hours of Monday, April 25, 1988, Elizabeth finished a shift at the 7-Eleven in Killeen. She had plans to study for midterms after work at her boyfriend's place. Her boyfriend's name was Ricky Ray, and Ricky, in some sources, was referenced as her ex-boyfriend, but regardless, the two were reportedly getting together that evening after her shift. According to the KSEN article by Melissa Guz, after her shift was done, Elizabeth reportedly quickly gathered her maroon purse, her 7-Eleven polo shirt, and school books before heading off, with some resources claiming that Ricky picked her up from work. Elizabeth was apparently wearing a white shirt, new blue jeans, white tennis shoes, 
shoes and a dull lemon-colored vest style jacket. Elizabeth did go to Ricky's house that evening. However, accounts claim by 10 p.m. she left Ricky's house as the couple got into a verbal argument over their studies. The conversation got heated and Elizabeth left Ricky's by foot with the apparent intention on making the trek home to Lampasas from Killeen. According to the KSEN TV article, a classmate from the Central Texas College apparently spotted Elizabeth walking and supposedly offered to drive her somewhere in his green AMC Gremlin. This classmate indicated to officials that he didn't personally know Elizabeth, but recognized her from college, so he pulled over and offered her a ride. It's not clear if Elizabeth got into the AMC Gremlin with his classmate, as some sources claim she did, whereas others don't seem very positive in this. 45 minutes after leaving Ricky's home, Elizabeth reportedly called Ricky from a pay from a payphone at the 7-Eleven in Copperas Cove. Copperas Cove is 23 minutes east from Lampasas and 14 minutes west of Killeen. Basically, Copperas Cove is situated in between the two locations. In a direct quote from Ricky that was posted on the Unsolved Mysteries website, quote, Elizabeth called me from a convenience store and wanted me to come pick her up. We got into a little disagreement there because I was asking her why she left my house without telling me. I didn't understand why she'd do something like that because it's not like her, end quote. The phone call ended with Elizabeth reporting that she would either call her parents or her brother, with accounts varying on this information, and simply have them pick her up. Ricky never heard back from Elizabeth that evening, and based on the Lost and Found blog write-up, at around midnight, Elizabeth's mother recalled the home phone ringing. Apparently, Sam soon had turned the phone off in the bedroom, so by the time she got up to the other phone in the house, it had stopped ringing. Witnesses would later tell police they saw Elizabeth get into a vehicle that was described as being either white or silver with a maroon vinyl top and that this vehicle was heading toward Killeen. By the following day, Elizabeth was nowhere to be found. Things in Elizabeth's case are fairly murky when it comes to the fine details, which seems to be a common theme in disappearance cases because if we had all the information down to the details, it might not necessarily be a mystery. Some sources I came across noted that Ricky Ray, Elizabeth's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, approached the Campbell family the next day asking if they knew where she was. Other sources noted that Elizabeth's family went to Ricky after realizing Elizabeth hadn't come home. It was discovered that Elizabeth wasn't where she was supposed to be and concerns began growing inexplicably. Police would be quickly contacted regarding Elizabeth. However, things didn't start off great with the investigators. Right off the hop, there were seemingly concerns regarding what police department was going to be covering the case. Considering Elizabeth was from La Passis, but she was last seen potentially in Killeen or Copper's Cove. Then there was the added barrier of when the family could officially report Elizabeth missing. In a direct quote by Elizabeth's sister, Carol Ann, from a KSEN TV article website, quote, We had heard that she had to be missing for 72 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. There was inconsistency in how many hours had to go by before you looked for a person, end quote. 
On top of all of this, because Elizabeth was also 20 years old at the time, the waiting period confusion became even more confusing because she was technically an adult. But Elizabeth's family didn't want to wait around for police. Tom and Sam soon quickly jumped into making flyers within the first 24 hours of Elizabeth's disappearance. Samsoon and Tom also reportedly hired a private investigator. However, this had to end eventually as the cost began taking a toll on the couple's funds. And we will get to that in a little bit. The Lampasas Police Department would file a missing persons report on April 26, 1988, with police meeting with the family again on the 27th. During the April 27, 1988 meeting, the Campbells were informed that a call was received by dispatchers on the 26th that someone had reportedly seen a juvenile female they described with long black hair, a basic description that would have been similar to Elizabeth, walking eastbound on Highway 190 near Clark Road. Tricky part is whether this was Elizabeth or not has never been clearly identified. Six days after Elizabeth was reportedly missing, a girl matching Elizabeth's description was spotted by a convenience store clerk, Roger Anion, about 85 miles from where she disappeared. Roger was quoted stating the following, which I came across from the Unsolved Mysteries website, quote, This car drove up to the fuel tank and a man got out of the car and took a young woman by the arm and brought her into the store with him, holding onto her arm. It wasn't as if it was a boyfriend-girlfriend type of hold, it was his hand above her wrist. I was up at the counter and he pushed a $20 bill out with one hand. The girl looked up to me and I said, yes, can I help you? He said something to her in a language that I didn't understand and she dropped her head and just looked down, as if she was being punished for trying to say something. She just hid, put her face down, and that was the end of that. End quote. Roger later noted that this unidentified man was about 5 foot 7, 160 pounds with acne scars on his face. He reportedly was wearing a silver martial arts medallion with a gold chain. Another witness claiming to see Elizabeth named Michelle Christensen alleged that she saw Elizabeth near Copper's Cove, which, if you recall from earlier, Copper's Cove was where Elizabeth made the payphone call to Ricky the night of their argument and her subsequent disappearance. Michelle reportedly once stated, quote, The first thing that caught my eye was that he had a real mean, rough look to him. He gave the attitude that he didn't want her to talk, just to stay silent. And that's a weird situation, because if someone wants to talk they usually talk, but she didn't. When I handed the strawberry cone to him, Elizabeth Campbell looked up at me. She looked like she was being pulled around. She wasn't with him by choice, end quote. Two months after Michelle's sighting, another identified woman by the name of Virgie Johnson claimed on July 10th that she had seen Elizabeth, this time at a gas station over 150 miles from Killeen. Virgie described her experience as such in a direct quote. I had just left my car going to pay for the gas and I bumped into Elizabeth coming out of the store. Elizabeth acted as if she was frightened of someone or maybe she was being watched. When I saw a photograph of Elizabeth, I automatically knew that was the girl I had bumped into in at Garland. I was just positive that that was Elizabeth Campbell, end quote. Based on what I gathered in my research, in total, police received three sightings of Elizabeth with this unknown male. Although perhaps relieved Elizabeth was still alive, fear probably grew in Elizabeth's loved ones with concerns that Elizabeth may have been abducted and forced to do sex worth by means of human trafficking. It hasn't been proven 100% as fact that Elizabeth was kidnapped and was human trafficked, but I am going to take a moment to kind of talk about some warning signs of human trafficking from an educational standpoint because I don't think I've really talked about this kind of stuff on the show before and figured, you know what, maybe there's someone out there that doesn't 
know the warning signs and could learn something from this. Some resources I've come across have pointed at some of the similarities between the warning signs and the sightings of Elizabeth. Some indications that a person may be a victim of human trafficking include, especially in the case of women and children, appearing malnourished, showing signs of physical injuries and abuse, avoiding eye contact and social interaction with anyone, including authority figures or law enforcement, seeming to adhere to scripted or rehearsed responses in any social interaction, lacking official identification documents, appearing destitute or lacking personal possessions, working excessively long hours, living at a place of employment, checking into hotels or motels with older males, and referring to those males as boyfriend or daddy, poor physical or dental health, tattoos or branding on the neck and or lower back, potential untreated sexually transmitted diseases, small children serving in a family restaurant, and security measures that appear to keep people inside an establishment, barbed wire inside of a fence, barbs covering the insides of windows, and last, not allowing people to go into public alone or speak for themselves. Desperate to find Elizabeth and bring her home to safety, Elizabeth's family, friends, and just those who cared for her and this case have spent minutes, hours, days, and weeks turning over every stone and pouring everything they can to locate her. Her sister, Carol Ann, once stated that their parents would spend every penny they had looking for her, thousands and thousands of dollars, in order to locate Elizabeth. Costs grew as the family continued to print flyers, they hired that private investigator, they would use postage on letters asking for help, and just in general the phone bills, which began to rack up. It wasn't just finances that were taking a toll, it was also their well-being. Reports claim that Sam soon and Tom followed up on every unidentified body that was discovered in the area, only to be shot down when it was discovered not to be Elizabeth. I can imagine it was a spark of potential hope each time that was blown out once the results came back that it was not their daughter. Elizabeth's case would be featured on the iconic show Unsolved Mysteries during their November 22nd, 1989 episode. According to the Lost and Found blog by Crystal Dawn, after the segment aired, there were upwards of 200 phone calls from folks claiming to have seen Elizabeth. Sadly, there was no further movement until 1992. And this update may frustrate listeners as it frustrated me. It turns out that Elizabeth's maroon purse that she had on her person on April 25th of 1988 was found in an evidence room of the Crockett County Sheriff's Office in Rizzoli, about 300 miles west of Copperas Cove. The purse was discovered when staff were cleaning out the evidence room and just simply stumbled upon it. There was no documentation on who brought in the purse and it was determined to be Elizabeth's as it contained her social security card and a credit card. A KWTX write-up noted that Elizabeth's makeup, hairbrush, and keys were missing from the purse, which is weird to me because where would they be? Even though there wasn't any documentation regarding when the purse was brought in or who brought it in, officials believe that it could have been turned in sometime between April 1988 and January 1989. The frustration from me personally is the lack of documentation surrounding the purse. If someone just recorded who or when it was dropped off, who knows what kind of leads could have come out of those small details. And in April, 2023 article by Melissa Guz. Police are hoping that they can send Elizabeth's purse to a private lab to see if there was any DNA evidence that could be discovered. The relationship between Elizabeth's family and the Copperas Cove Police Department, who seemingly now possesses the case, has been built more stable in comparison to when Elizabeth first went missing. 
Based on that April 2023 article by Melissa Guz, there seems to be more regular check-ins between investigators and Elizabeth's family, and overall, the investigators aren't just letting Elizabeth's case get colder as the years pass by. Investigators are looking to connect with the person who called dispatch the night Elizabeth disappeared, along with connecting with anyone who may know about the silver or white vehicle with the maroon vinyl top that Elizabeth may have left in from the 7-Eleven the night she disappeared. In 2022, there was one tip that came into police regarding possible human remains found locally. However, at the time of this recording, these remains haven't been detailed as being Elizabeth's. I didn't come across any further tips or leads, but if I have missed any, please let me know. As previously stated, the thought that Elizabeth may have been kidnapped and forced into human trafficking seemed to be mentioned in most of the resources I came across. Yet one resource noted the potential theory that Elizabeth may have been a victim of a serial killer who may have passed through the area around the same time. I saw this theory in a lost and found blog where they pointed to serial killer Robert Ben Rhodes who was dubbed the truck stop killer. To quote this blog, which is by Crystal Dawn and will be linked in the resources via the Google Doc link in today's episode notes, quote, there is no concrete proof or evidence to support this, but I believe the facts of this individual and his crimes are compelling enough to mention. It is serial killer Robert Ben Rhodes dubbed the truck stop killer. He was thought to have been active from 1975 to 1990. He was an OTR truck driver and he was known to be in the vicinity during his routes near where Elizabeth went missing. His first victim's body was even disposed of near Ozana, Texas, nearby where Elizabeth's purse was later discovered. His first murder wasn't discovered until 1990, but he claimed his crimes went back 15 years, end quote. This is just a theory and has not been proven as fact or backed up with any further evidence. We have to take theories with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, we have to let the investigators do what they need to do to solve the case. I did just want to mention it though because if you decide to look into this case after today's episode, you're going to come across the theories. Those that knew and loved Elizabeth continue to have hope that Elizabeth will be found one day. Tragically, Elizabeth's father Tom passed away on June 16th of 2018 at the age of 83. Those in Elizabeth's family that are still with us, such as her mother Sam Soon and her sister Carol Ann, continue to plea for anyone that knows something to come forward. She's out there. Someone knows something, Carolyn said in a KSN TV article. I believe that we'll find her. I hope it's soon and I hope it's in my lifetime, but I think she'll be found, end quote. Further in that KSN TV article, Carol Ann emphasized that even those that who could have been involved in her sister's disappearance should not hide anymore. In a direct quote from that article, quote, I don't care what you did. I don't care if you have guilt that you've held this information. We are beyond that. I mean, it has been 35 years. All we need is for you to come forward one way or another. I don't want to punish anybody. End quote. And on that note, let's wrap up this week's episode so I can tell you, listener, who to contact if you may know something. Elizabeth has been missing for a whopping 35 years at the time of this recording, and if she's still alive and out there today, she'd be 56 years old. There have been age-progressed photos done for Elizabeth that I will try and post on the podcast social media accounts. At the time of her disappearance, Elizabeth was approximately 97 pounds, she stood about 5 foot 2, and again had long, dark hair. Some resources said it was dark and brown, others said it was black. Regardless, she did have brown eyes. Resources note that Elizabeth has a small scar on her chin, forehead, as well as her right eyebrow and on one of her elbows. Her ears at the time she went missing were double pierced, and she was known to have a small mole in the 
the center of her back between her shoulder blades, along with a small birthmark on her right buttock. She was known to wear glasses or contact lenses for distance vision, something that she may still wear to this day. If you have any information regarding the Elizabeth Campbell case, whether it's big or small, please contact the Copperas Cove Police Department at 254 547 8 222. You could also leave an anonymous tip with the local Crime Stoppers at 254-526-8477, where you may be eligible for a $10,000 reward. Like other disappearance cases, I encourage those tuning in to tell your friends, family, coworkers, whoever will listen about it in order to get the word out there about Elizabeth and her disappearance. You never know who's tuning in and what they may know. Let me know your thoughts on today's topic over on the podcast social media accounts or shoot me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.